On this week's Texas Tribune TribCast, we'll talk about freshman Angela Paxton's most famous bill, about school finance and property taxes, the session's headline issues, and about where Texas puts all that data the state has collected and uses to operate. But before we do, I'd like to thank today's TribCast sponsors. Texas Tech University Health Science Center, 51 Texas counties west of Interstate 35, have no dental providers. See how TTUHSC El Paso is filling the need for dentists in West Texas at bit.ly slash EP Dental School. And One World Strategy Group. One World Strategy Group, led by Jerry Brooks, is a public affairs relations and engagement firm dedicated to winning for clients. More at oneworldstrong.com. Do I have to talk to you in their head? Do we have to make sense of it? Well, I know you're such a long time. Hello, this is Ross Ramsey here on Wednesday, February 20th with the Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week by reporters Emma Platoff. Hi there. Elias Wavy. Hello. And Edgar Walters. Hello. As always, we'll take your questions in real time on Twitter and Facebook. You can reach us by using the hashtag, hashtag Tribcast. Uh, let's start with your story that ran this weekend, Emma, on Angela Paxton's most now most famous legislation. Uh, tell us tell us about this and how <laughs> to it To be fair, she is a freshman. But, well, right. uh, so we noticed on Friday afternoon that Senator Angela Paxton, wife of Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, had filed a bill. And it first caught my attention because it said that it related to the Attorney General's office. Obviously, this was kind of a conflict of interest that a lot of us had been watching for um, even since before she was elected. Essentially, the bill, which she has described as kind of an effort to regulate the financial tech industry, which is centered um, in Richardson, which is part of her district, would take power that currently rests with other state authorities and give it to the attorney general to regulate this kind of emerging, uh, quote, innovative technology. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> so the bill. So that was the first see. paragraph of the story. <laughs> <laughs> Ethics experts are kind of raising their eyebrows at this bill. I mean, the, just the very top level of this, right, is that when a spouse is filing a bill that gives more power to the agency that's led by her spouse, that's something that people are going to keep an eye on. But also the bill would give the attorney general's office the power to exempt these, quote, innovative entrepreneurs from certain state regulations. You know, they could operate outside the state laws and framework. And one of the laws that the attorney general could give people exemptions from is the State Securities Act. So just to brief this up, basically a, a statewide official who in 2015 was indicted for violating the State Securities Act would have the power under this bill authored by his wife to exempt certain innovators from the State Securities Act. So basically the crime he is accused of committing, um, one of them, One right? of the three right. criminal indictments, yeah. Right. Um, so how's this shaking out? Is this, I guess this bill's still moving or it's still over there? It hasn't been referred to a committee yet? It hasn't been referred to a committee yet. I mean, it's Wednesday. This bill was filed on Friday before a holiday weekend, right. and we know it's early in the session, so I think, you know, there's, there's more to come potentially. Um, but there's been a lot of attention on it, and that's, you know, bad attention is the kind of thing that can kill a bill. I mean, it was filed on February 15th. I don't know how to read it as anything other than a late Valentine's Day present. <laughs> from, 
Senator so, Paxton to Attorney General. So what Paxton. was her um, what was her explanation of this? What did Senator Paxton say about this? So the senator says that this idea is something that was brought to her by someone in her district, like I mentioned, Richardson, which is kind of the center of uh, this industry in the state of Texas, is part of her North Texas district. Right. It's based on a 2018 Arizona law that creates this. They call it a regulatory sandbox, where basically this new industry can be exempt from existing regulations, the argument being that, you know, these these old school regulations don't really apply very well to this kind of new changing emerging industry. Um, critics of that would say, well, if you want to regulate an industry better, why would you exempt it from existing regulations? So the idea here is that we're going to loosen the law in this limited context because it'll enable innovation. Exactly. That, that's the yeah. argument for it. And okay. it's billed as a consumer protection bill but consumer advocates are not super convinced by that argument. So what did the attorney general's office say? Um, Nothing to me. Nothing yet. Okay, <laughs> great. Uh, so what have you read that they said to anybody else? I mean... I saw that the Senator Angela Paxson gave a comment to a reporter saying, you know, th this bill has nothing to do with my husband. We didn't even discuss it before it was filed. I haven't personally confirmed that from him or from her. But is this this isn't a this isn't a um, power that the attorney general's office has any formal way asked for? It's not something I've seen them ask for in conversations with you know their right. sort of people on this, or and it's not money importantly that they've asked for in their legislative appropriations request. It's actually right. the first I've heard of any program like this in the state and, of Texas. And notably, the so the agency that would have this power stripped from them and given to the attorney general's office right. is the state securities board, right? Mm -hmm. That's an agency that's under sunset review. To me, that means that there's going to be a bill filed this session that dramatically or could potentially dramatically overhaul the role of that agency. That's what the right. sunset review process is looking at like, what should this agency be doing? It seems to me like if there were, you know, a place to do that, it would be in the sunset bill. And if you look at what's happened in the Sunset Review so far for the State Securities Board, it's been pretty much sunshine and rainbows for them. Um, it looks like, you know, in, until this bill was filed, that they would be continued to be funded at the current level. No major changes or problems flagged. Seems like generally positive reviews. And there's nothing in the Sunset Advisory Commission's initial report or staff report that would suggest change the statute, take this away from right. them, add this to them. Those not, kinds of things. Not that I've seen. And it's important to note that before Ken Paxson was criminally indicted under the State Securities Act in 2015, he was actually issued a civil penalty, which comes from the State Securities Board. So he was he was um, fined $1,000 and signed that disciplinary order from the Texas State Securities Board at the time and didn't dispute the finding. So there's already been an administrative penalty on this. Which started from this agency. Right. right. Great. Okay. So... Interesting. So there's not a House bill yet. It's just the Angela Paxton bill. As far um, as I know. And we'll just wait and see what committee it goes to and where it goes from here. That's the plan. Fun and games. Um, so let's turn to the uh, what are supposed to be the signature issues here of this legislative session. Um, the governor declared emergencies on several issues, including school finance. Um, you know, just walking around the legislature that seems like there's 38 versions of school finance or maybe 181 versions of school finance. Or maybe zero versions. And, and we don't, and right, and that's where I'm going. We don't have a bill yet. What's going on with this? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, every week sort of check in and every week there's another set of rumors around, okay, well, it's coming out this week and, you know, they're they're writing it and they're, they're working on it. I think, you know, it's going to be, um, it's going to be really giant. I think, 
You know, a lot of people have said already it's going to be hundreds of pages long. Yeah, I've heard They're a 400 to, page version yeah, and a 500 page 500, version. Yeah. <laughs> bigger and bigger. Right. And so I think, uh, you know, they're trying to pack in as much as possible from the School Finance Commission report. Um, which came out at the end of last year, which is really long and really wonky, and it's you know dozens of, of recommendations, and all of those recommendations have some or a lot of them have some sort of fiscal note attached to them. And so you know if you if you're doing if you're writing a, a an omnibus bill, and you know there's going to have to be runs for it eventually. Okay, so <laughs> explain of, explain runs. Uh, so basically, um, for for schools. Um, School finance is difficult because school districts are impacted by them in really different ways. Um, so if you're a small rural school district um, out in West Texas, you have, um, you know, you want really different things in the nitty gritty of the school finance formulas and how they distribute money than like a Dallas ISD. Um, right. you're, you're affected really differently and, and it could just be one line that means, you know, millions of dollars different for your district. So, um, you know, after after a bill comes out and, and um, you know, starts moving through uh, through the legislature, then usually there's uh, a set of runs that come out that show the way that each district would be impacted. And that's when you really see the politics start, um, you know, among lawmakers that have to uh, fight for their specific school right. districts. And that's when it, it often breaks down is, is when, you know, a coalition of, of school districts. Um, sometimes it's rural versus urban. Um, sometimes it's one specific district that is just has a lot of lobbyists or has a lot of right. um, lawmakers representing it, um, is particularly angry about something or, or would lose out a lot. Um, and so I think, you know, there's no bill yet, obviously, but even after the bill is filed, um, you, you'll have to see the runs to know what the reaction is going to so be. So what looks good on paper may not look good to the districts in my, in my own Right. Senator House District. Right. Yeah, I and, think yeah. a lot of the conversation so far has been lawmakers trying to anticipate what the runs would be, you know, right. for their for their districts. Like I think um, Representative Ken King, who um, you know is out of Canadian, so he has some uh, rural oil wealthy up in um, the school Texas district, Panhandle, right? right. Um, and you know he's been talking a lot about the way that certain proposals would affect small rural districts in a session that for school finance specifically, has been so focused on Dallas ISD. Right. Dallas ISD and Canadian ISD are not the same school district, obviously. Uh, and so there's already been those arguments. And when the numbers come out, then you have more to actually pin those arguments on. Great. So uh, so the anticipation for this thing is basically any day now, and it's kind of ticking away. Right. It's is, been is, any day now for, for a are while. Are you hearing but. much conversation? This is a bit of a blind question, but is there? are you hearing much conversation about how much time they think it's going to take? At what point does, you know, not having a bill in hand become an impediment to getting it done right. during this legislative session? We're six weeks in. We've got 14 weeks left. There's still time. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, Representative Huberty, who chairs the House Public Education Committee, um, has sort of every time he talks about the bill coming out, he says some sort of comment about, you know, I know that people aren't happy about it. I know that you guys are going to nitpick at it. I know that there's going to be a lot of controversy around it. So I don't think anyone's anticipating it to be an easy process, especially right. with the bill being so giant. And there's already been a ton of really tiny bills filed. Some of them um, include little parts of what the, the larger bill is intended to, or is expected to include. Um, you know, I guess sort of like a fail-safe kind right. of thing. If, if you really want merit pay, 
then it makes sense to, if you don't trust the process, if you don't trust that it's going to survive the process, to just file that bill on your own and, and see what happens with it. Oh, so they think merit pay is going to be in the big bill, but if the big bill doesn't pass, here's my little bill. Right. So, and, and the school pay thing is still unsettled, last I heard. There's a group that wants, I guess prominently includes the lieutenant governor, that wants a $3.7 billion, is it 5000 per teacher pay raise? Right. Um, exactly. Across the board. Um, yeah. He also has said he, on top of that, would like to have some kind of a merit pay plan. Mm -hmm. There's yeah, a merit he's pay plan. Much less excited about that one. <laughs> there was a merit pay pay plan in Dallas that, when Mike Morath, now the Texas Education Commissioner, was on the board there, uh, that they fooled with, and I guess that's the model. Yeah. So Dallas ISD has. Um, it's not just merit pay. I think it's sort of it's it's really complicated and has been, I think, misrepresented a lot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, often because it's so complicated that people don't really understand it. But there's a merit pay system where they're paying their teachers based off of these ratings that are in part based on the STAR test, the state standardized tests. Um, and that's what has people really mad. But then on top of that, Dallas is using, um, is specifically recruiting teachers who rate higher um, on, those, on that um, merit pay system to their um, low performing schools. So we're taking really good teachers and putting them in the places where students are having the hardest time. Right. right. And so that portion of it, I think I've heard more support for. You know, people are okay with putting a lot more resources into struggling schools, but they don't want the um, the impetus for uh, trying to hire the teachers or, or giving the teachers more benefits and more money to be based at all on test scores. And I think Aaliyah makes a really good point just to go back to, you know, Canadian ISD is not Dallas ISD. For all that we see state leaders kind of one after another touting the system in Dallas, I think a lot of them, particularly in the House side, are recognizing that this isn't a model that you could transplant into districts across the state. And that's why some of the proposals, at least for teacher pay raises, are you know, let's provide some kind of incentive funding and give districts more flexibility, let them figure out what works for them as opposed to trying to um, implant a, a broader system, which is, in my understanding is one of the criticisms of the across the board pay raise proposal that's come out of the Senate. Right. So Edgar, you've been watching the budget and the Senate Finance Committee, the House Appropriations Committee, um, correct me, I think this is a little sloppy, but the Senate has $6 billion set aside for school finance fixes and the house has about nine billion set aside uh yes that's correct um the 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 asterisk that goes with that is we don't know what percent of that money is for tax relief and what percent of that money is for schools so hard to compare so, exactly so, but. so how do, what does that mean exactly so it goes to schools um and so we'd spend it on education if it goes to tax relief then the state's spending money where locals are spending money now. What, what exact, how exactly does that work? Yeah, basically, like, you could... So, so take the House proposal, for example. They are promising this infusion of $9 billion right. into the school finance system, but it has to achieve, according to their writer, a lot of different things, including property tax relief. And so, conceivably, you could take all... They wouldn't do this, but conceivably, you could take all $9 billion... Right basically use it to pay down the local contribution to schools, thereby claiming we have reduced the need for school districts to raise property taxes. This right. is, in essence, a tax cut. It's spending a lot more state money, but at the end of the day, that doesn't necessarily yield 
more spending per student and education. You know, it's just so you're, you're spending using money, the money to buy down taxes, not actually to. You're just spending the money to change the state local share instead of right. putting more money in education. And, and importantly, you know, we've been talking about not having a school finance bill. We do have a property tax bill. You know, that the identical bills were filed last month in both chambers, but we've heard from kind of leaders on this issue that the school district taxing portion of that bill is placeholder language. And that's obviously, you know, arguably the most controversial, the thorniest, the most difficult to sort out and the biggest financial impact portion of the property tax debate is what do we do with, about these school district so, uh, property taxes? So there's sort of a nice pivot there. You know, you wrote um, with uh, Cassie Pollock about the Senate's efforts to get this property tax bill passed, and it would basically require voter approval of any property tax revenue increase by a local government of more than 2.5%, as it's currently stated. So how do they vote on that bill if they don't yet know what the school finance part looks like? My guess is that they don't vote on that bill uh, <laughs> until they know what the school finance part looks like. And that's kind of what's been suggested to me by the players in this debate. We saw that bill come out of the Senate Tax Committee pretty quickly. It's already passed. It passed uh, with no nay votes, but we haven't seen it called to the Senate floor. And partially, I think that has to be because we're waiting on the big companion legislation, which is going to be this sprawling, uh, hard to read through school finance bill, which will presumably give us some more kind of concrete answers on what the majority or what the leadership proposal is on what to do for school district property taxes. Have you, any of you heard any indication that the legislature is trying, is looking for any money beyond the six or nine billion that they've already got coming in and new sales taxes and, and all of this? in order to lower property taxes or, or to apply to the governor's compression plan or to, to do any of these other things? Oh, they're always looking for new money. The question is, where can they find it? <laughs> Aren't anyway? we all? So, yeah. so <laughs> has that taken a serious turn in a way? I mean, are there where are they seriously looking for new money? Well, you know, uh, you've written about the all the uh, sales tax exemptions right. or, or, you know, loopholes, I guess you could call them, you know, ways that businesses or or people kind of right. get tax incentives or don't have to, you know, or, or tax exemptions right. through certain programs. Um, I think that there's been a lot of interest from lawmakers in, hey, are there any of these loopholes that maybe we could close, find, you know, half a billion here, a couple hundred million there. Um, in the couch cushions. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, old purse you never a, use. It's a pretty big couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whether they're going to successfully do any of that, I think, I mean, Here's what I've been told, which is that if it were easy to do that, it would have been done right. many sessions ago. Right. Um, there are always entrenched interests who can make ec the economic case for we need a um, tax exemption or or other sort of benefit because we're, you know, if you take this away from us, you're going to just hurt the economy. Right. Um, so, yeah, but unfortunately for <laughs> Texas lawmakers, what's the easiest and most effective way to get new revenue? It would be to raise taxes somehow. And uh, that just never seems to be on the table in Texas. You know, we, right. Republican leadership, you know, prides itself on being a low tax business friendly state. So, well, I, you know, I looked this up in the course of writing about this, we're the 46th in overall tax burden among the states. So, you know, that's one of their bragging points. So however high your property taxes are, or your sales taxes, You've got the 53rd highest income tax, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, are we allowed to say that a uh, dirty word on air here, Ross? Uh, yeah, <laughs> we are. Tax? We got a question here from Chris. <laughs> um, can the governor's Senate House's good intentions on school finance and property tax reform 
be taken seriously without a willingness to explore getting more tax revenue from businesses or via a state income tax? There's actually a fair amount of money here, even if they don't mess with taxes, right? There is. They have, you know, about 8.1% more general revenue this session to spend than they did right. last session. So that's some more money, but that doesn't get you all the way. I mean, my my answer to that question is because it, it cannot be taken seriously until we actually see the proposal. I mean, we've gotten a, like what Emma was saying, we've gotten a property tax um, proposal for cities, counties, and special districts. Right which you know is a bill that would essentially limit the amount that those districts can raise in new property tax revenues from year to year. Right. Um, but the fact of the matter is that is the, even all of those sort of districts combined, that is still a minority portion of the state of Texas overall property tax bill. We don't know what's going to happen with school district property taxes. That's a huge unknown. I don't, I think until we see that, which I guess is presumably coming in the school finance bill, you can't take that seriously. I mean, it's interesting. We're, we're in this point in the debate where we have seen dollar amounts sort of negotiating positions between the House and Senate. Right. Senate saying essentially we're willing to, to do something worth $6 billion. House saying we're willing to do something worth $9 billion. But we haven't actually seen what the something is yet, which right. I think is – backward from how it has been in sessions past, which is we have all these grand ideas about how we're going to cut taxes and also boost funding for schools and do all of these things, but we just don't know how much money we can actually spend on any of those things. Okay. Before we before we get to our uh, next part of this, I'd like to thank two more TripCast sponsors. The Texas Association of Nurse Anesthetists, got it, uh, certified registered nurse anesthetists are making a difference one patient at a time. More at txana.org. And independent colleges and universities of Texas, private colleges, public purpose, Texas independent colleges and universities are as diverse as the students and communities they serve. Visit icut.org to learn more. Um, it, what he's talking about is a little bit like a flip of what we were talking about just a few months ago. We had the commission coming in with all of these ideas and no money. Now we have all of these ideas for money and no ideas yet. Um, does that come together at some point? I mean, can you, having looked at what the commission did and, and seeing what the finance people are doing, can you see where this might come together? I think the biggest struggle um, right now is, you know, even if you are able to match up that funding to the proposal ideas, which is pretty difficult to do, especially because the ideas are changing, you know, day to day sometimes, right. depending on who's spoken out against it, who's whispered in whose ear about it. Um, it doesn't mean that it will <clears throat> be consistent money. Right. So, you know, if you start a merit pay program, um, you provide money for ACE. The problem in the past has been, you know, we've, we've tried this before in Texas, um, but it's been through grant programs. And so they've run out. School districts didn't know if they were going to get that money from year to year. Um, I think right. there was one that passed in, in 2007 that still is like technically going. There's technically a grant program on the books that um, would provide money for, for some sort of like merit pay effective teacher type thing. Um, but not that many districts are getting that much money out of it. And so everyone's kind of forgotten about it. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I think like even if you uh, say yes, they'll they'll end up passing something that does what they said that they would do at the beginning, if they don't find a consistent source of money for it, then those ideas are just gone the next session. 
I also think it's worth noting, you know, these numbers sound huge and they are huge, six billion on the Senate side, nine billion on the House side. But I think, and Leah knows this better than I do, that there are education advocates who would say even those numbers are not close to high enough, even just to keep up with things like, you know, the inflation on the per student allocation that's set in statute, you need some number of billions of dollars. And even these huge sprawling proposals that we're seeing are not enough, some people would tell you. Uh, another piece of Arcana that we've been writing about this week is the Texas data cloud. Can you catch us up on this? <laughs> Apparently, Texas has Texas is just a big website. <laughs> we, have to, we have to explain the internet and, to and, Ross oh, no. before we can do oh, this segment. You wrote about this. I mean, you know, this is actually sort of the hardware behind where all of the data sits. And I don't know why we had the Luddite on staff writing about this, but I will do my best <laughs> right. to explain. So. Um, the state of Texas is huge. This may come as a surprise to mm. all of our listeners, right. but Take you know, we, notes. we got about 30 million people who live here, and um, you know, we pride ourselves on having small government, but we need enough government to uh, you know organize and provide services to millions and millions of people. And the product of that is um, we're doing government in the 21st century. There's a ton of electronic records associated with that. You know, anytime somebody's getting food stamp benefit, you know, SNAP benefits or Medicaid or, right. you know, there's all kinds of personal information that is generated just over the course of government doing its, you know, daily work. Right. And in 2005, the state um, decided we have all of these disparate state agencies, you know, we have state agencies running schools, um, healthcare, roads, et cetera. Right. They're all generating their own records, but we need to have kind of a standardized central way to store that data, make sure that it's safe right. from hackers, whatever. And the, the big filing cabinet in the sky. Right. Exactly, the big filing cabinet. And um, the big filing cabinet that the state of Texas created was actually sort of two twin cabinets that could be sort of backups of each other. Right. Um, one is this sort of nondescript warehouse in North Austin somewhere. Um, you can picture like a, a big, one of those like white air conditioned like server rooms, I think is an right. accurate description. The other one is um, on the San Angelo State, no, Angelo State, Angelo University, State University right. campus in San Angelo, which I think dates back to in 2005, some high ranking member well, of the Appropriations Committee. Before then, actually, the, <laughs> the chairman of finance at the, or House Appropriations at the time was Rob Janelle from Rob Janelle, San Angelo, right. Texas. Right. So we end up with um, a data center there and a data center here. And um, that was, I guess, fine and dandy. That was 2005. And here we are in 2019. The um, contract, Texas pays a private company to sort of manage and operate those right. data centers. Um, that contract is coming up for renewal. And all of a sudden, there is this big push from lawmakers um, and big tech companies saying, we could do this in a better, more efficient, more cost-effective way, right? And let's get out of 2005 tech, putting these you know things in hard sort of data centers, and let's go to the cloud, you know, the same way that a company might store data um, in this sort of dispersed network of servers right. connected via the internet, um, in a way that like Netflix might hire a big data management company to sort of store all of their right data. Um, you know, companies like Amazon, Microsoft are very excited by this idea. I think they've made us pitch to the legislature, we could do this for cheaper, we could do it better. 
Um, lawmakers are very interested in that. For, for whatever reason, Jane Nelson this session has really sort of like taken a laser focus onto the company Atos, which currently runs the data center. She's the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. She's chairwoman of the Senate Finance Committee. She gets to make a lot of the big budget decisions. She is very interested in the state's use of private contracts. And um, yeah, so there's sort of this, all these discussions right now about how much money is the state willing to spend and how much uh, power are we willing to sort of seed right. from managing our own data to letting a private company do it. And there are pros and cons, you know, private companies do this for a living and right. may be very good at it. They can also potentially, it's, you know, some people would say, we're worried about the idea of letting Amazon host some of our most sensitive right. private data about people's health records and whatnot. Right. Yeah, right. Can, I, can I ask the actual Luddite question, which is, you know, is my private medical information gonna be safe if you just hand it over to that Jeff Bezos? <laughs> 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 Might it end up in maybe a tabloid somewhere? <laughs> oh I wasn't um, even going to go there. And on that note, so this settles as part of the budget uh, process, or is an agency handling this, or uh, where's this decision made? Well, the Texas Department of Information Resources is sort right. of like the state's tech agency. They um, are in charge of the contract for the data center, um, but the legislature. So, so they will make the decision next year about how which company they want to award the new data center contract to. If it goes to a company. If it goes to a company. Right. And what would they like it to be? Will, will there be more of a pivot to cloud services? Will right. there be whatever? Um, but state lawmakers have sort of made their feelings known. Jane Nelson wrote a letter to the department and said, don't award this contract until essentially like I've signed off on it. Like the legislature needs to have more oversight of this process. Um, a couple of lawmakers have filed bills essentially encouraging or mandating state agencies to look first at cloud providers for their data needs and then at the state data center and decide, mm -hmm. hey, which one of these would be cheaper. Um, so yeah, there's some, some rumblings on that. We'll be following those bills and see how far they progress. Okay, um, great. Uh, we're about out of time and I'd like to thank Texas Tech University Health Science Center, the One World Strategy Group, Texas Association of Nurse Anesthetists, got it three times, and independent colleges and universities of Texas, our sponsors this week, and extra special thanks to Spoon for our theme music. On behalf of Emma, Aaliyah, Edgar, and our producers, Michael Ray and Bobby, this is Ross. Thanks for listening.